Welcome to this Centrum podcast. For more podcasts or to join Centrum programs building creativity in community, visit us at centrum.org. I'm Michelle Haygood, and this is On Air, a podcast focusing on conversations with artists and creatives from Centrum's residency community. I am broadcasting to you from the lands and waters of the Coast Salish people in a place known as Katai to the Sklalem people, and today known as Port Townsend, Washington. This podcast is focused on bringing artists together in community to explore the ways that place, process, and the personal intersect. We dive into the many ways that artists are responding to the current times, affecting change, and finding sustenance during health, climate, and social crisis. Join us and take an hour to be in residence and unpack your own relationships to creativity, time, and place. Thank you for being here and enjoy this episode. our first episode and joining me today in the studio and taking over the role of host for today is going to be Taven Dotson who is generously taking time in his producer role to interview me and guide us through questions around who I am and what this podcast series is all about. Thank you so much, Michelle. I'm really, really excited to be here. And it's not often I get to sit on this side of the interview, so it's going to be exciting. When we first made this transition, what is the biggest difference for you now than before? Some things are the same. I think there's an underlying conviction that residencies are in fact an important part of the artist's ecosystem and they are something worth making every effort to make happen. So that's something that continues to be true. But the difference now is that we've learned a lot. We are a lot more prepared um, to, to do these residencies in a way that's safe for everybody. Um, but yeah, what I am hearing is that you know, with the exception of those in privileged positions to use stay-at-home time for their own creative practices, the majority of artists have had quite the opposite effect. I think there's a lot that we've learned about the disproportionate ways that coronavirus has affected communities of color and black people, indigenous people, along with people who, of course, or we're in a lot of frontline positions who are a lot of gig workers, part of our gig economy. We've absolutely seen that across the board at Centrum. The music industry, the artists who are not just having their um, exhibitions canceled, residencies canceled, awards even deferred. We're also, we know that their day jobs have been largely put at stake. Artists, you know, many of them have part-time gig work that went away very quickly. And so when we talk about the new normal, I think that what has been both hard and inspiring for me to witness and learn from 
is that I think the conversations I'm seeing coming out of the artist's world are informed by a thread of knowledge that has, I think, long been there, but is now surfacing in interesting ways just about the ways that our previous systems and our current systems are failing us, have been failing us. And I think artists are in an incredible position and have already put a lot of good thought into pointing out those faults and coming up with new systems. So I see artists not just as needing this restorative time to create work for the masses necessarily, but but they are a central part of our think force. You know, making work is thinking, making work is theorizing, um, it's putting ideas out there, and this is the community I am excited to learn from in terms of what that looks like. And so I think our new normal needs to include a recognition of all the ways that artists manifest their work in institutions and in exhibitions and all the ways that we can think about our support for them that go beyond something like a residency, which got compromised immediately at this. You know, residencies can be an important part of it, but but we can also start to put more value on what they're putting out in the world. They are also some of the people who have made so many of our online streaming and entertainment systems happen. Their ingenuity has been a part of this, along with countless other people who define themselves, not as artists perhaps, but I think there's this bigger idea of sort of the creative force that's out there and that has long been under recognized. You brought up a really good point, which is the artists and the artistic community has a lot to teach us right now. I'm curious, could you talk about your intentions and where you see this podcast going? Absolutely. I see this podcast as following in the footsteps of a lot of other wonderful podcast work that's been done out there that has benefited me. And uh in terms of sort of honing in on creative processes. And I see this one in particular as a twofold opportunity. One is to continue to build relationships with these artists and pay them for coming on the podcast. Two, for us to continue to learn what they're doing. But then, yes, I think that in this space, a lot of the things I will personally be interested in learning from the artists is practical tips for how they're managing, what that looks like. I think the more examples we have of what creative practices look like, the, m- the more we can start to see ourselves in each other and the more we can start to own those processes or take bits of those processes for ourselves. And it's what I love about my work. It's why I have been in the arts admin admin and education world for as long as I have been because I'm addicted to learning about what artists, how they do their work and how they think. And the other driving kind of force for this was in a residency approach, the word place comes up so much in, you know, and our, and our whole initiative at Centrum right now is to sort of rethink 
how we think about place, but anything that has ever happened here can't ignore where we're situated. Artists come here and there are immediate histories that are at the surface and then those that are invisible in this physical space. We are on indigenous land. We are also on the site of a historical military base and we're faced with that architecture and these remnants of weapons that people love to romanticize but also complicate. And there's narratives that are constantly there to be worked on. And that's that's what so many of our residents um, have a chance to kind of reflect back to us when they come here. And now we can start to think about what those conversations look like around the globe for people. Because in America, um, where we are all also on indigenous land, we are all in, um, I think we can start to, to really expand the way we're thinking about place and to draw some attention to the interconnectedness of our lives and the architecture, the neighborhoods, the the environmental landscape and uh, more than human beings that are around us, the ways that those affect us. Because in a residency, you get to sort of pull yourself out of your environment, but now we're in a time where you're confronted confronted with it in an entirely new way. And so I think that these conversations will get to, in some cases, compare those experiences not all the artists we will bring on here may have come here yet. Some are people we're hoping to work with. But that's what I think is exciting about the series and the experiences that these people are going to be bringing for us. I would love to take this moment to transition into your life, more about you and who you are and where you came from, because I think myself and everyone listening has a lot to learn there. And we could use this as a first moment to explore that perspective, which is space and artistic vision, uh, and bring your perspective into that. I would, I would love to talk about things in relation to place. Side note, I'm just now, I'm reading The Overstory right now by Richard Powers. For anyone out, out there who has read it, I, I just want to say what a kinship I feel to these characters that he's writing about who who fall in love with forests and trees and become intertwined with them because that is where I largely situate myself in my childhood. I was born in Nashville, Tennessee, but my family quickly moved into a rural area in Tennessee in a valley of about, as we were so proud of, 75 acres <laughs> of forest and land we set up a farm a small sort of you know what do you call those not quite a fully functioning farm but sort of a pet farm of sorts we had chickens and horses and uh goats so i grew up in a place that was i would call it at that time sort of a cultural desert in terms of the access that I had to. There were not at that time art museums, with the exception of Cheekwood in Nashville, which was a little out of bounds. And now Nashville has a very different scene. But at that time, 
my experience was very limited. It was not until I went to college, the Maryland Institute College of Art, that I really started to have experiences in museums. And museums, I sort of fell into them after my undergraduate work at the Maryland Institute College of Art. And because at that time and still today, unfortunately, many art schools don't really talk about what jobs look like for artists. And at that time in particular, I graduated with no clue. But fortunately, I was able to start some part-time work as an educator. I had a history of babysitting. And 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 so I guess just to back up a minute, just to, just to sort of plant that <laughs> foundation and say that I come from parents who were I would consider them artists and I want to just also make a note about artists in general I, I want to use that term incredibly loosely on this podcast it can and I want to just say that I am one of those who subscribes to the fact that we don't need artists don't need to separate themselves from other individuals in society it is a useful label <laughs> that I think can can say what you kind of center in your life. But I certainly think that many people have artistic practices who don't own that title necessarily. So, uh, but I was, I drew, I wrote creative stories as a child. And fortunately, even though I didn't have access to sort of professional arts training until I got into high school, and was able to do some summer programs. It was my parents who were there to just be cool with whatever I was doing and who also modeled making as a legitimate thing to do. So, you know, where I am today and, and where I was, there's a nice kind of, there's a circle that happened because I am now in Port Townsend surrounded by an environment that reminds me very much of the environment I grew up in Tennessee in a small town. But for 20 years of my life, in between then and now, I was in urban environments. I lived in Baltimore for something like 13 years. And, and I lived, then I moved to New York and I worked in museums. I was at the Walters Art Museum and then I moved to uh, New York to do work with teaching artists at the uh, Guggenheim Museum. And then I worked to run studio programs at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And those were incredible years of learning about all the ways that artists were doing things, be it a exhibition at the Met or be it a teaching artist who was sustaining a pre-K program. And, and that is still just a slice of it, but I also worked with several museum and colleagues who were doing so my my understanding of what art practice was grew exponentially in those years. I went to Vermont College of Fine Arts to pursue my masters in fine arts. So I have I have always sort of had a parallel track parallel tracks and often overlapping between my professional art administrative or educator practice and my own studio practice. I have tried to devote equal energy into both of those and have chosen, which is why I chose to spend my money or money I didn't have on my two art degrees. 
while maintaining jobs in museums. So then I moved out west after having a child and really craving an environment like the one I grew up in for my own daughter, but not quite ready to leave museums or urban environments. So I lived in Seattle for three years working at the Henry Art Gallery. And I don't know if this is, I don't know if you wanted my like professional bio. Oh, I did. (laughs) That's, that's it in a nutshell until I made the exciting leap from working in arts education, sort of as I think of it, the, all the work in programming and developing public programs in a museum context, what was always important to me was that whatever I was doing, I had chances to become engaged in artist thinking in some way. So that might have looked like learning and reading interviews and and learning about the work that was on display so that I could teach about it. Or it might mean hiring and recruiting artists to develop workshops and lectures around content that was related to what was on view. And so in all of that, there was this beautiful opportunity for exchange and dialogue and, and just sort of this constant education that was happening. And that could feed into my own art practice in some way. And when the opportunity at Centrum came up, um, I had long dreamed and sort of lustfully watched the residency world, but had never, because of my job, I had never really had a chance to be fully engaged in it. I was not one of those artists who got to bounce around from residency to residency. And so this ended up being a really fantastic transition um, where I feel like I got to step into a realm that is actually much more comfortable for me, which is the sort of being in the studio spaces and the process side of being an artist, being less focused on the product side and more on really that thinking side. So that's that's where I am now. I, I do maintain an active studio practice myself. Is it a home studio or can people come see it? Well, I have a website. <laughs> what is that website, Michelle? MichelleHakewood.com. And we can list it in the show notes. <laughs> I, I have a studio at home and I have a little off-site nook that's in a shared collective artist space. So because any parents out there know that you, you get the work done when you can, how you can. And so I need a space at home where I can do late night painting or paint alongside my daughter, work alongside of her, which actually is a lot of fun. And sometimes she gets me into the studio, which is cool. That is amazing. Can you talk about that for a moment? You and your daughter's artistic collaboration? Yeah. So my daughter is five and it took all those five years to get to a point where we could have a side-by-side studio practice. It was hard-earned, but she has her own table. I have a table. We negotiate because uh, having working alongside a child looks different for everybody. For her and I, she can work independently, but she also is constantly watching what I'm making, which 
at the age of five can produce some envy. And there's a fair amount of commissioning that happens in our studio space. There's some give and take between what what she feels comfortable doing on her own and what she really wants me to collaborate with her on. So we just learned you have two different studios. One of your studios is a collaboration in-home studio with your daughter. And the other one is its own little nook away from home. I'm really, really curious. This is all of our conversations are going to be about place and artistic process. And I'm curious to know the differences you've picked up and noticed between those two spaces. And, and do they influence your artwork differently? And do you find uh, yourself going to the spaces to pull on that knowledge and pull on what you feel? I'm, I'm curious to know about that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And it makes me think of a few other nuances I'd throw in there because, uh, well, one, having a studio, having one studio is a huge luxury. Having two, I feel like I've just, I, I don't know where I am because I haven't had a, st- a proper studio space in 10 years. It's not until I moved here that that became possible. But I think that one thing I have learned enormously from other artists over the years is that in some ways you learn that your practice gets shaped by where you are and and then there starts to be a dialogue between what's happening in that space and what's happening with your work so sometimes it's hard to tell what comes first and that's just something I think is interesting because I would all I would also kind of add that there's a third space where the work happens for me which is walking walking and being in the woods or walking down a sidewalk in an urban environment like that's always uh, I have a photography practice that interweaves when I take it into a studio space and so I just think that it is really interesting to think about what's happening in the when you transition so it's not so much that the off-site studio well, it does have special things about it that happen. It ca- I came about needing it because because I did take a residency for myself and immediately learned that when I take myself out of the home and when I take out myself out of a place where things are expected of me in a certain way, my brain works completely differently. And I am able to think about things that I normally wouldn't be able to think about. And... I needed to work on a story. My work has been shifting into a narrative narrative work where I've been writing and working on a graphic novel of sorts. And I could not get to that headspace in my home. And so the offsite studio became a place for me to continue the work I was able to build in a residency where I um, could take as much time as I needed and not get interrupted and it is in a collective space that it works very well because the artists often I have the whole place to myself it's a former car mechanic garage and so it's this nice big space Um, and a lot of textile artists have studios in there which is perfect for my work because my work uh, draws heavily from what happens in weaving and in line work that you see in a lot of textile work. 
And my work also draws heavily from sort of found debris and found materials. So there's a lot of really exciting visual stimuli in that space. And at the same time, in my little nook, I'm able to kind of have, in many ways, a blank space. Because a blank space is sometimes really helpful. And so at home, what's happening, and this is evolving for me, and always changing, and that's another thing about me, is that change is something I crave and feed on. And so changing locations or changing the arrangement of things is always something that's a part of my process to sort of shift my own thinking because I'm so heavily influenced by what I'm seeing and feeling around me. So, but at home, um, that's a space where I get to kind of reserve work that is less, less mental energy. So that might mean paper cutting. That's when I'm like painting and spilling ink for backgrounds. It's when I'm tracing or doing kind of intuitive drawing work and those are also things that I can easily be interrupted while doing and and I can pause it quickly go help my daughter with what she needs help with and and such so yeah it's I think space teaches you I think when you can put yourself in different environments and or shape your environment in a way that helps you echo yourself back to, you know, I think there's a lot of power in that. And there's a lot you can learn about yourself. So up until this point, we've been talking about Michelle Hegwood, our host, um, the on-air podcast and exploring creativity and the locations we express our creativity in. And I think we're going to take a moment and just talk about the actual space that we're recording in right now. I'm going to pass it over to Michelle because uh, I think she has a good perspective on everything that we see in the room around us. So Michelle, could you just start by kind of describing the setup of the room we're sitting in? Yeah, the we are in building 205, uh, which is located on the Fort Warden campus. And this building is where our residents use the space for studio space when they're here, those who are visual artists and have a visual practice. Um, our writers are often primarily using the cabins and we have performance artists who rent other spaces uh, as needed but the room we are in is special we are right next door to Corvidé Press which is a collective of printmakers in uh, Port Townsend who run and keep this printmaking studio active and that our artist residents use and the residency program actually began around use of that space um, before it became Corviday, I should add. The Centrum residencies were born out of a series of experimental arts programs when Centrum was founded with its mission to really work with all disciplines and think very expansively about how it was serving artists and bringing artists into community uh, with the people who lived here and, and wanted to come and participate. And the artist program started with master classes that had some success, but evolved and they learned that what was more valuable was this ability to provide residencies. And the print press 
was one of the first tools they were really able to offer. And so the program was set up in a way that artists would come and be able to use both the cabins and the studio spaces and the printmaking studio. So a lot of them were visual artists who had some sort of printmaking practice that they could use here. And in exchange for coming, they were asked to leave behind a print or a collection of prints, uh, an edition of prints. And, and so the room we are in right now actually houses that collection. And we have hundreds of amazing prints from artists that started coming here back in the 80s. In about, I think in the, I won't go through the whole Centrum history because I'll get the dates wrong, but the program has transitioned over the years. And it is no longer focused primarily on printmaking, but it is still a very important part. And we no longer collect pieces from the artists, with the exception of people who like to donate to our auction. But but we, I'm looking at some prints right now by Michael Spafford. We have um, a print by Ed Ruscha, uh, Marianne Peters, Claudia Fitch, some some household names and not household names that should be household names who represent both the Northwest region and beyond and who really speak to a history that I would like to pay attention to as we go forward and reflect on in this series. Um, there, there are both ways to think about uh, what people were learning and doing. There's chances for us to follow up with some of those artists. And there's also chances to continue to think about how the world has evolved since that time and, and how our programs continue to need to serve people. We've explored a lot of ideas during this podcast, and hopefully it's given you a taste of what to expect when we bring people into this room. Michelle, do you have any final thoughts? I just want to express my gratitude to you, Taven, for all the energy you have put into helping us put together this studio and project. And really, though, also just to the artist community who has held me up and and who I know will continue to both support and hold us accountable for the work that needs to be done. And, and I... I am excited to do all that we can to give back and to sustain our conversations around art and these times. Thank you for listening to this Centrum podcast. The creator and host of On Air is Michelle Hagwood, Program Manager for Artist Residencies. Our cover artwork is by Leon Finley, and our music is by Tabor Dark. Centrum's executive director is Robert Berman. Centrum podcasts are produced by Taven Dotson, Owen Rowe, and Holly Miller. Our executive producer is Joe Gillard. With gratitude and respect, we acknowledge that we broadcast from the traditional lands of the Coast Salish peoples, from the place known by the Sklalem people as Katai, and today called Port Townsend, Washington. Centrum programs are based at Fort Warden State Park in Port Townsend. Centrum was founded in 1973 to foster creative arts experiences that change lives and is dedicated to building a world of greater inclusion through the arts. 
Other Centrum podcasts include music from the Centrum Archives, interviews with teaching artists, and readings from the Port Townsend Writers' Conference. To subscribe to any of our podcasts or to support or participate in Centrum programs, visit our website at centrum.org. Thank you for listening. This podcast is copyright 2020 Centrum Foundation.